0: They say that experience is the best teacher and the best way to learn from experience is to learn from others who have already found success for this season of the guy who knows a guy podcast, Michael has lined up a great group of successful people who will share their stories of how they got started and some powerful lessons from their accomplishments. He'll also be introducing you to people who are just starting on their entrepreneurship journey to share what they've learned so far. Success is not just about money and we'll meet some people who've been successful in very unique ways. Entrepreneurship is an exciting journey, and we're glad to be along for the ride with you. Here's your host, the guy who knows a guy, Michael Whitehouse. Hello, and welcome to the Guy Who Knows the Guy podcast. Today, I have Tyler Sully Sullivan with us. Tyler is the founder of BombTech Golf, an e-commerce store with over $20 million, sold online since 2012. Tyler also runs Ecom Growers, where he and his team have helped countless Shopify owners add six to seven figures, in additional sales, to their e-commerce stores by optimizing email systems and ad campaigns to find hidden revenue streams. Over the years, Tyler has come to learn the formula for running successful and profitable e-commerce businesses. He believes that even with online companies, there's a huge value in having real conversations with customers and potential buyers. Tyler's hyper-focused on the customer experience and operating a lean business that doesn't just drive revenue, but drives serious profit and cash flow. So Tyler, am excited to have you on here. How are you doing today?
1: I'm great. Living the dream. You know, dropped the kid off at school today. First day of school since uh, COVID. So stress level is high. I'll be drinking tonight, but life's good.
0: (laughs) As is sometimes the case that there are are challenges here and there. Uh, There's definitely a bunch of stuff in that bio we're going to come back to, but I will start with my traditional first question, which is, Tyler, what makes you awesome?
1: Man, that is a deep question. I was trying to think answer. I mean, what makes me awesome? Well, it took me nine years to figure this out, but I've been able to kind of shift my time from working 20 hours a day, seven days a week when I started. to now I can't even find stuff to do because I've delegated everything out. And now I own two companies. One does eight figures a year um, and one does seven. And I work the the least I have ever worked. And um, a lot of epiphanies in there to get at that point. But um, Mm -hmm. living life, a lot of golf, a lot of skiing um, and the wife, you know, made me get an office. So I was home too much, uh, so you know, I, I'm a uh, I'm a dad that's there, which I'm really proud of.
0: Well, that that is that's one of the most awesome things to be is a dad that's there. That's something I I swear to my, my daughter's actually still home today because we're in the space between camp and school, um, and so we have a in my office there's, there's a separate computer set up next to me, uh, and and she'll be sitting there playing Spore or whatever um, yep. while I'm working. So we're co-working. It's like a co-working space. So <laughs> Perfect really cool Uh, thing to have so so uh yeah as you mentioned you know it took you nine years to figure it out which is faster than a lot of people and (laughs) there's plenty of people who they they spend 50 years never figured out so congratulations on that but let's go back to the beginning of how you how you got started in the business and how you um how you got going on this
1: yeah accidental entrepreneur um started this out of pure passion you know i was obsessed with golf just absolutely loved it was trying to compete in the home run derby of golf world long drive. And I ended up, you know, I wasn't that good, but I enjoyed it. I I made some qualifying events. Um, and I had a local club builder assembling these odd golf drivers for me. And I ended up breaking every single one and it wasn't from my Mm -hmm. power or muscles, but he just couldn't assemble them. Right. And it was a pretty simple process to assemble a golf club. And I just started assembling my own, um, and then at first my friend who i golf was like hey can you make me a club i was like sure um made him one he's like how much i'm like i don't even know sold him a club thought that was cool then from there just this is all this was straight up no expectations you know i made a website because i was kind of bored with my day job i was in sales and sold nothing off of it um six months later was my big epiphany i i was on a boat which was not a yacht it was my little dinghy uh, i had out with my wife. <laughs> I got email and it was my first sale from that website. And it kind of blew my mind that I made a sale while I was on the boat. Wasn't from my computer, wasn't at work and I made money. So I just said, let's do more of that. So from there, it was a long journey for me. I started, you know, really organically posting on Facebook, documenting my journey, sold a couple of clubs here and there. And then I had the crazy idea of designing my own club. So I talked to a buddy. From my frat i was like dude i just want to design my own driver build my own brand he's like you're not that smart <laughs> and uh <laughs> he wasn't wrong i mean I, I had it took me five years to graduate um but i worked with my local college uvm where i graduated and i, I worked with four engineering students and we designed a golf driver and throughout that process i just kept documenting on facebook um and when we went to launch it we didn't kill it but we sold you know ten thousand dollars worth of clubs which was a lot better than one club and really just from there you know i really took organic social was able to document slowly grow it and uh I'll, I'll go to the next epiphany and then i'll take a break but then the next real kick in the butt was i was fired from my day job uh the mm, week before, way, yep. yeah the week before thanksgiving and we just found out my, my wife was pregnant so so that mo that moment was a big one because I did not have any plans of taking the side hustle to full time. And I've never had a kid before as a new dad. And that was probably the hardest year of my life. Um, and I worked probably 20 legit 20 hours a day, seven days a week, just doing all the wrong stuff, trying to figure it out. And, um, that year was tough. I was, had debt up to my eyeballs, working capital loans, tons of stress. And, uh, I was able to scale it up eventually at the end of that year i was able to make it make some more than my day job um and then i was able to scale it up with facebook ads and that's when we started to really have what i was in a real business so i started doing seven figures a year you know we broke our first million and um yeah it, 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 that journey from that point to now we do over a million a month um there's about 20 other epiphanies in there but that was my first real it's either showtime or not, was getting fired. Mm-hmm. So yeah, was, he, someone else
0: interviewed, he, he called those uh, non-discretionary life events.
1: Yeah, so I've had many of those that's really, to me, I've had like this passion project. And then I had first, you know, getting fired and then having my first kid. And then really like the, the next event was, you know, figuring out how to delegate. So I started hiring people better than myself. We started doing 3 million, 4 million, 5 million, 6 million a year. And then it was my second child, my daughter, that when we had her, I said, I'm going to take six weeks off. So I took the six weeks off sales actually went up and that wow. was my, you know, third or fourth epiphany saying, wow, I'm really not that important. Um, and now I've kind of, I got a little crazy with it, but got to a point where, you know, I work maybe three, four hours a week and I'm literally the, I have a policy where I'm not allowed to open my laptop and touch the website. I'm not allowed to do anything because I'm only going to break it. So <laughs> so it's come a long way from t- working 20 hours a day, seven days a week to not allowed to do anything because I've got experts doing it all and I'll just, I'll mess stuff up. So it's kind of, kind of a crazy uh, evolution.
0: Yeah. Uh, so it sounds, it sounds very four hour work week. You know, yeah. Tim Ferriss, <laughs> book, which I I'm, imagine you're familiar with. I am. Uh, and, and, you know, I've actually met very few people who actually live that story. So it's interesting to to be able to talk to you about that. Um, but you know, it makes sense where you're doing the online, you know, the internet um, is your storefront. So you don't have to be standing at a cash register yeah. for people to come in. Um, it seems like the, the two challenges people might have, well, three maybe, one is coming up with a product that people are going to want to buy. Second is marketing that product so people know about it. And the third is finding people you can actually trust to run your business for you who aren't going to either screw it up or steal it from you. Um,
1: All so. big challenges for sure.
0: Yep. <laughs> um, so so let's go with those in order. So the the product. How did you come up with a product that people would actually want to buy?
1: I mean, I think that really comes from passion. I've said this before. It's like you know, if you try to chase a trend, it's already too late. So for me, yep. golf was trending down. It wasn't like a hot thing. You know what I mean? So I was just doing because I loved it. I was a golfer growing up. I was obsessed with it. So it never felt like work so when i was designing the club Mm -hmm. working with the team finding manufacturers it was exciting new it's fun you know so like that's phase one and i can't give advice other than find solve your own problem right like that's what i did i found i didn't find a product on the market that i really love so i want to make my own so like that's solve your own problem and do something you love and then it won't feel like work but i can't say hey go find this manufacturer on this website and design X, Y, Z, and it's going to crush. And I think that is the hardest part. Yeah. It took me, you know, we, I had designed design it with a college for a year, you know, get prototypes made. It was not easy. So to, to like sugarcoat and say, hey, go, go make your own product, you know, that's unique, has a story and is worthy of selling, is it, very difficult. Uh, but if you surpass and, that, which, you know, you can do, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's the story side that really like, was organic, you know, and that's why I got picked up by a lot of press. I could talk the talk, but really for me, like outside the product, it's it's the engagement and building that audience as you do it. So if you have a passion, it's like just ask questions, build an audience and document what you're doing before it becomes a thing. And that you have a built-in audience to sell to, launch to and kind of a platform to kick you off. And you'll never do that if you're saying, hey, I want to go launch a business tomorrow and make $10 million dollars. But for me, right. that's just how I did it. It was a long time ago. Facebook was much different than it is now. If you had 200 likes, it was 200 real people that saw you. Um, so today it's easier to launch, but it's much more competitive. Ad costs are much higher. You know, there's many different challenges. But I kind of did it early, so timing was good too.
0: But but you still kind of brought your fans along in the journey of of hey, I'm this crazy guy inventing a golf club <laughs> and. I didn't check say out crazy, what i doing, but I
1: will. I will add that to the uh, to the story. I'm sure they did. Yeah, yeah. They did, <laughs> but, no, but you're like, yeah,
0: I'm inventing a golf club. Come with me and watch, and they'll be like, <laughs> "Wow, I couldn't do that." Cool. Let's yeah. go see what Tyler does.
1: Yeah, Entrepreneur Magazine pretty much was like, "Yeah, not great story, great product, not gonna make it." <laughs> so, we, so it was a, a difficult market. You know, not something that we thought. You know, hey, I'm gonna go make. A million bucks five million, 20 million, 30 million, whatever just had fun with it you know what i mean and um so kinda, I, I do want to dive into the how do you find people that you can trust because this is like once you hit i think for me it was like the six million a year mark you know i really figured mm-hmm. out a way and I, actually i hit the six million mark and then i had a really bad year and then bounced back because i actually fired one of my best guys i had um because I didn't okay. know I didn't know enough about what he was doing um, he was an ad expert I hired him to do it he crushed it for us we went from like one four to six with him and then we had a one bad month in January which is an off season and I was like dude you're done you're fired um, and our results were so good and the reason was I didn't know enough about Facebook ads and really how it worked so that was probably the toughest year of my life because in terms of uh, marketing because I had to find a legitimate agency, which I ended up, took me 12 months to do it. I ended up learning Facebook ads, hiring a Facebook coach and literally learning ads myself until I got to an expert level. And then when I got to an expert level myself, and I believe you have to be an expert in every category to, to hire or fire someone, then I could find someone. So what I did then is I would do a one hour screen share with so-called experts. And I would say, hey, if you can beat my ads, you're hired. And my thought was, I'll pay them for their time, so they'll show up. Uh, one hour, hopefully, I'll learn something. But the real goal is, I'll learn something. But also, if they beat me, I found someone. So it took me four agencies and twelve like boutique or freelancers that were up for the challenge. That I went through this one-hour screen share, and the very last guy beat me. And had, you know, he's like, dude, you're doing this, this, and this wrong. I'll beat you. Here's why. And he did. And he's been my paid marketing guy for three and a half years. Um, Okay. So that's how I vet any so-called expert now. I say, cool, you're legit. I'll pay you whatever. You name your rate for an hour. And uh, you show me what you'll do. And if it works, cool. If it doesn't, I paid you. You're gone. I don't hire you. So that's really my vetting of anyone but first thing you have to know how to do it well enough to 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 know if they're doing it right so i think that's the struggle is become an expert in each silo to then go through that vetting process
0: Hmm. And yeah, just, I, I suppose it makes sense yeah if you can get to that level and then you're just looking for someone to kind of amplify your time because you have the skills results
1: in um, time he was better and quicker <laughs>
0: right right uh that, but so so I, I guess I'm going to say, is, is there any other way to do that? Because uh, there's some people, like it sounds like you kind of, um, much as you as you claim you're not that smart, I don't believe you because you became an expert in every aspect of your business. Um, but for someone who doesn't have the uh, time, attention, inclination to become an expert at everything, um, is there another approach or is, is are they just going to be kind of at a disadvantage by, by having to hope for the best that the people they're hiring know what they're doing?
1: Uh, I mean, I really think if you're starting a business, um, you should and have to be an expert in every area because how else are you going to really know if you're doing a good job or you can hire them? Mm. That's just what I I truly believe. And really, like if they do leave, quit, move who knows where, then you're kind of screwed, right? So if you have no no fallback plan. So what I've done now is any category, let's call it CRO, SEO, Facebook ads, email marketing. The easiest way to do it, you know, is if you're not willing to do it yourself is to ask the person you're hiring to make a video of how they do it. And say, listen, I'm willing to hire and pay you, but I wanna know a little bit about your process, what you're doing. And say, do a one hour video of your uh, methodology of how to set up Facebook ads and, and what you actually do. So if they do leave or quit or whatever, you're not totally screwed. Um, and that was my mistake that mm. I made in 2016 was I, hi- I fired the, one of the best ad guys in the world, um, because I didn't know enough and I had nothing to fall back on, you know, cause I didn't have a document or a video of him. Like, Hey man, this is how exactly I roll with this ads. I retarget it here. And it doesn't have to be, it can be a raw rough. I mean, I like to do lo- learn it myself so I can make those videos. So I can just duplicate myself with other people um, and they can improve upon it. But really, I, I've got a Monday board with, you know, every CEO agency, SEO and like what they do, what do I approve so that if I did die tomorrow, like not to be dark, but the business would run without me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or, or or took a six week vacation. Six, yeah, there you go. And, and I do that to a fault now where it's like, I don't really have many big levers left to pull, which... Most people were like, "Dude, what are you talking about?" But it's like I can't necessarily. If I said, "Hey, I'm gonna work my butt off and work ten hours a day every day for the next three months," versus doing four hours a week, it wouldn't change the outcome.
0: Oh, because you got all the right people in the right places and systems, people, and they're smarter than yep. me at this
1: point. So it's it's that it's makes, a very very a different sense. world.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that that makes a lot of sense there. Um, no. So I want to go back to to designing the the club. Um, so, how did, what was your arrangement with the the university you worked with? Did you pay them for this? Did you were you uh, sharing sharing ownership of the patent or, or how? Did yeah, that
1: work? yeah. So they they have it's. I don't know about uh, other colleges, but at least my local college has a capstone project where you can work where you can apply to um, work with a group of students. There's like I don't know how many groups there was, maybe twenty mechanical engineers, I believe. And you apply and if you get accepted, then you work on a project together. So I've done like seven projects with them. Not always do we make a product that we make. I have a couple pairs of skis, a fishing lure, you know, four or five golf designs, just stuff that I want to design and I work with the students and it's kind of a a way to connect with my college. They now do charge for it, (laughs) Uh, but they really, it's more of a learning for the students. And it, it also depends on what kind of students do you get? You know what I mean? It's like, do do they show up? So it's a hundred percent a gamble. You know, I just luckily, because I was so passionate and obsessed, I worked with the kids hand in hand, you know, and they loved it. And it was, it was very unique to have a, a design made tooling made and a product made in a year. Um, That was like UVM, the college had made it a big, you know, when they, they do the tour, they show our, mold uh, because it was such a cool thing because a lot of times I'll just design something for a big company that never becomes a thing so we made it made a golf club from scratch designed it made it you know and built a company around it so it's it's pretty cool um not to say if you go to your local college work with kids for a year you're going to have anything worth (laughs) worth making but for me with no engineering background I knew what worked in golf with all these different club heads I was making. So I, I took their input on design and I said, all right, let's tweak this, tweak that and worked with the foundry. So all three of us trifecta, the foundry that has, you know, years and years, 30 years plus making golf clubs, engineering, pure engineering, CAD drawings. And then me as a golfer who knows nothing, which was kind of the nice part. I had no uh, limiting beliefs, you know, as like an engineer, I was just like, "Do this, do that. And they're like, Oh, okay, cool. And it, it worked out well, you know? And, uh, it was a product. It was a lot of risk in terms of cash flow because I had to make tooling, had to make product, and um, who who knew if I was going to sell it? You know, I just said I have to mm-hmm. make it. I think our minimum order was small because it was a sample run. I think we made I can't remember fifty or a hundred drivers, which at the okay. time was a lot. Of, I think it was all my money. Uh, so, you know, to to get it started. Um, so yeah, that, that was kind of my process, which is very unique, and I have not heard anyone else um, do that.
0: Yeah, well, it, what I like about that is that, that you basically said, I want to make a golf club. Let's figure out how to do it. And That's it. That seems to be the key of entrepreneurship. Some people are like, oh, I don't have engineering background. I, I don't have engineers. I can't afford to hire designers. I can't afford this, so I guess I can't do it. And you're just like, I want a golf club. Who can make a golf club? Hey, students! Can you guys make golf club? Yeah, let's make golf club. And, and I, I'm sure if you didn't find them, you would have found you know some some hobbyists or some. Uh,
1: I would have found someone a hey, 3D I, printer I, or something. Yeah, I think that's the thing. It's like if you have a passion, I think that's a big difference from my story. I don't know how it relates to your audience, but I loved it, so I was going to make it regardless. You know, it was just yeah. like if I if I said, "Hey, I'm going to set out to make ten million dollars on this golf club that's more aerodynamic. I'm going to make it this way." I don't think it would have happened you know um yeah and the guys that go and raise money and get vc money and have this grand idea it's like we we got we bootstrapped scrappy profitable made it happen from day one you know as a real business but it everyone has their own path this was just mine you know
0: yeah well and like you said i I think the system i heard if i recall correctly it's 0.05 of businesses get vc funding which is mm. roughly the same percentage as basketball players who make it to the NBA. Wow. Um, and I, I was speaking to someone who said, it's, it's crazy that we have colleges teaching this venture-style business. You know, it, it would be like having a school giving a degree in professional basketball. It wouldn't make any sense. Right. It's a dead-end path for almost every student. And it's much more important to teach like what you did, which is get passionate about something, figure out a way to do it without a pile of money. And hey, you hear that if you ever watch like Shark Tank. Sometimes Mark Cuban will say, I'm not giving you money because it would destroy your business. Because you're scrappy because you're broke. I give you a hundred thousand dollars, you'll be out of business in six months. Because then yep. you'll have too much money. You you won't have to get creative. You'd be like, oh, let's just buy some stuff. Oh, let's just hire somebody. Oh, we lost fifty thousand bucks. Whatever, we'll hire somebody else. Yep. Not my money. You know, playing with house money. So yeah, it, it, it sounds does, like. Right. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like that. That's kind of what was driving you. Is like I need to. I I can't lose this money, so I'm gonna not do it
1: yeah and that's been i approach today you know like now we do you know we'll do eight figures this year and i still only have two guys in house you know so like i i believe in an ultra lean business model so like what i've done Mm -hmm. is you know my two guys that are in-house are my customer service guys so i believe truly in wowing like literally doing whatever it takes they have full health care paid for you know they work remote they kind of make their own schedule which is unusual for customer service, which is usually outsourced. It's like a $9 an hour or $2 an hour overseas job. And, Ugh. you know, it's, it's tough. So I pay these guys well, um, and, but we wow the customers and the word of mouth is insane. And that, that gives me the freedom to, you know, launch a new product and people will buy it because they were wowed by the customer service. Mm-hmm. But really, so I got my in-house guys and I've got silos of experts that are like agencies or freelancers or contract guys. And that allows me to be, you know, cause like the, I don't like a ton of employees, which I didn't know at the time, because you have to train them and, you know, do all this and if they leave, you're kind of in trouble. Whereas the agency model is a performance model. And I just try to find the best agencies for whether it's, I've got CRO, SEO, email, um, ads, you know, and then my fulfillment center, which are all what I call, you know, variable cost model. So like if I sell a ton of clubs, yeah, we ship more, so we pay more in shipping. If we spend more in ads, yes, we'll spend more in advertising. To my ad guy. So it's a lot of variable costs and very little overhead. So if I have a really good month, it's great. If I have a bad month, it's good. So that's kind of like I adopted because I'm not VC funded. I'm bootstrapped. Yep. And I like cash. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah. that's how I set it up. Not, not that we're talking about that, but to kind of talk about X. Yeah, no, I... I- who I need and how I set it up.
0: No, I I love one. I'm glad we are talking about it because I I think there's this perception out in the in the mainstream world of business, um, by which I mean people who know nothing about business but like <laughs> to talk about it. That because uh, you, know, you you hear a lot of people maligning uh, gig work and independent contractors. And now, absolutely, there's companies out there that are just screwing their workers because they're, they're treating them like W twos and making them do what W twos do, but calling them 1099s and making them pay their own taxes, and and that's not cool. But the, the, up, the upside of it, the way it should work is what you're doing, which is that flexibility. You got flexibility that you don't, that, you know, if, if you have a slow month, you just pay your shipping guys less, but your shipping guys don't get laid off because right. if their business is, is flexible, then if they have a slow month, maybe they've got an arrangement with some other company that they take their overflow on their slow months, or they, uh, print shirts during their slow months or whatever. Cause that's, that they're, they are presumably also small lean, um, Adaptable companies, and you know the economy would be stronger if more companies operated that way because they could you know shift and slide around, and you wouldn't have to be you know laying off a thousand workers because things get slow. You'd just be like, hey, yeah, remember how you were shipping golf clubs last month? For the next two months, you're going to be printing T-shirts. Here's how you print a T-shirt. Maybe in March we'll start pre- shipping golf clubs again, <laughs> and it, it it makes it dynamic and smooth, and not like, uh-oh, the golf club business is down. I guess
1: I can't feed my family. Well, it's interesting because you know the variable model is hard for most entrepreneurs to, to do because they want, I think it comes down to ego and wanting employees and feeling like Mm. more people is better. And I, I definitely fell in that trap. Five years ago, when I had, I think I had six guys in house, we had a local facility doing the shipping. And My time was the highest it had been because I wanted to control, touch, see, and feel everything. So I wanted Mm -hmm. to see them, ship the clubs. I want to touch, you know, go there, visit them. I wanted an office so I could see what my employees were doing. And really like what I realized is a lot of things. Number one, if I took a day off, there was resentment in the office. I wasn't working, which I thought was kind of crazy. So like I'm the boss, but I have six guys there. I'm not working. They're like, Oh, I'm working all day, he's not working, and then they resented me um, because of that. So that, that years ago, I was like, you know what? I'm going remote so I can do whatever I want to do on my time. And that was probably the best move we ever made because they like it more. They can go golfing, do stuff on their free time, whatever, walk their dog during the day. Remote work, obviously, with COVID, a big thing. But, but then it's like I actually realized those other four guys I actually didn't even need. And to control the warehouse was actually the least the least profitable way to do it would be shipping golf goes from vermont the most profitable way and best way would be in wisconsin so if i was a ego driven hands-on entrepreneur have to touch anything i may move to wisconsin just to see the shipping facility but once i had my second kid i said listen i have to fully embrace delegation and that was the moment where I was like, you know what? I got to start making moves that don't require me. And that's when I was able to mm-hmm. go siloed agencies that were experts in their thing. I could fire them anytime. And then I moved all of our shipping to our best location, which definitely was not Vermont. It was Wisconsin, uh, which saves us time, shipping time, shipping cost, And it's completely variable. So if we do 20,000 orders a month or 2000, we spend that versus having, I could have a warehouse, And have 20 employees and feel important but it would not be good for the business so i think that's a hard thing to have once you have you start to have success but it took me my second kid to be like okay we're having success but i don't need to be seeing people do it and controlling it and almost strangling the business to death um which i think is the hardest part you know candidly i see a lot of companies just hiring a bunch of people and and doing things in-house that man you could be a lot leaner Profitable and scalable. If you didn't, and I think that's a hard lesson uh, for many, uh, myself as well.
0: Yeah, I I definitely see that. Well, you hear that from employees all the time. That you know, my my boss wants me in the office so he can watch me work, Uh, and you know, I I don't need him over my shoulder. And the the studies have shown people are making more efficient from home. They're more productive from home. They're working twenty-seven hours a week and doing forty-five hours of work, uh, quote unquote, forty-five hours of work because at the office they spend two hours a day at the at the you know, at the coffee pot, at the water cooler, going to a meeting, walking down the hall to a meeting. So yeah, when you are just doing the work, you so much more, and you're, and you're happier about it. Um, Everyone's happier. Yeah. And actually I want to talk about the, you mentioned your customer service team. Um, Cause you know, definitely a lot of companies, you know, as you mentioned, they see customer service as a line item. Uh, And I don't, and, and those companies obviously don't realize how many customers they lose or just all their competitors do the same thing. So it doesn't matter, but you know, when you call up, um, you call up customer service for your your Dell computer and you can't understand what they're saying because they have such a heavy accent and they don't know what they're talking about because they're reading off a screen. Well, sure. next time you're not going to buy one of those stupid machines. You got to And then, uh, Dell may may not outsource their customer service. I don't know, but but you know you're not going to buy one of those again because your experience is so bad. Um, uh, w- versus if you have a great like I, I'm working with uh, Soft is my my email and whatnot and they're. They actually may be small enough if they have one customer service person because I always the same one. But she gets back to me within a couple hours. When I ask a question, she gives me the answer I was looking for, not like an answer off a sheet. Um, Amazing. And I, presumably she is well taken care of um, because she's very engaged and, and professional, which gives me a much better impression of the company, especially because I need to use her fairly often because it's a fairly new software platform. So there's a few things that are a little quirky, not bad, just quirky where you need support um but it's really important and it gives a good experience to have someone who's like there and like when I crack a joke she responds as if I made a joke not like thank <laughs> you sir yeah right. which which if someone's english or second language they won't get your jokes um like you really feel like you know the person so to talk a little about you know what it's what your your thoughts are in having having customer service who actually takes care of people
1: yeah i mean i think it's one of the most critical things i mean we spend so much money every day to acquire customers there there's no reason to drop the ball post-purchase. So like that—that that is <laughs> something we, we try to dial in to be truly the best side. And everyone says, yeah, we got the best customer service. I, I would argue that most are horrendous. Um, so we, you know, the guys that work for me, golf, they know golf, um, they love to talk about golf and they care. And I give them a, uh, well, a blank checkbook almost to do whatever it takes to wow a customer literally I don't care if we lose money send a free club whatever it takes to literally wow them and for us it's like many people make golf clubs it's very competitive you know how can I separate myself out we got a great product great story but really if I've been lucky enough fortunate enough to earn the first sale we gotta do everything it takes to get them to repeat because this is a hard good. you know this is not a consumable the the chance of repeats very high very low unless you do a good job with blowing their mind with customer service. So that's mm. really, you know, we do a couple, we have a couple of tricks. We have, you know, uh, handwritten thank you cards, thank you voicemails, uh, a private owners only group, and then we have insane customer service. So there, there's, and there's other things we do is on top of that. So we have this welcome sequence that really just doesn't sell a product and indoctrinates them into the brand. And that mm. gives us the best likelihood to earn the right to sell to them in the future, uh, because it is very difficult and costly to sell to a brand new customer every time on Facebook and Google. Um, but the way we've done it, when we launch a new product, the chance of us upgrading or selling to them is very high because we spend more time, effort and money, um, you know, post-purchase is really, that's, that's where the rubber meets the road. You know, if you can, you can get that for sale, Man, you gotta treat them well. And I I did that because I started as a golfer. So I want to be treated like, okay, I'm a golfer. What exactly would I want to happen to me? So I, I built the customer service with that in mind, not looking at the PL.
0: Hmm. Yeah, so tell me a bit more about that that welcoming sequence and how you how you bring them into the
1: I can't give you all my secrets, but um the probably the Philosophical most, at least. Yeah, no, I could tell I could tell you. So like there's two things. So the first one, and this is what birthed the agency, which is e growers. But so email is really in, in e-commerce and bomb tech is our asset. So like if I were to mm-hmm. transfer the company, be bought, sold, whatever, they're really buying not only all the products, the brand, but they're buying the customer list. Right. So if we have 120,000 plus customers, that's one segment. Right. That's super powerful. And then we have our subscriber list. Let's say it's another 100,000. So that 220,000 person list, if I send an email today, how likely is it they're going to open it, click it, reply to it? That's our asset. So how we treat email is we have a true two way conversation. So we ask questions, we reply to them, and we we truly like want their input. And I think just having that um, mind shift of like, okay email marketing is not blasting newsletters and trying to make money. Email yes. is a two, two way conversation that we engage on to have real legitimate conversations, learn from our customer and yes, offer them products that are relevant to them. And the way we do that is we literally will ask them like a good example is like we have a new product coming out and we'll AB we'll do an email with a picture that says A or B, which one do you want? And before, I'd say, oh, I know, B is going to sell the best. I'm the owner. I'm the founder. I'm the guy. I know everything. Guess what? It's always the opposite of what I think. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we really, really at the core, give a shit, number one. And then in email overall, whether it's a flow, a campaign, whatever, we ask questions throughout the entire thing. And not only that, did we get the engagement, but when someone replies, you go from the promotions tab to the inbox. So when you go from the promotions tab on Gmail to the inbox, your goal, because now the people that actually want to hear from you because you did a good job wowing them and asking questions are actually going to see your message. And that's half the battle is a lot of times they won't even see your stuff because you're just blasting shit they're deleting. Whereas if I say, hey, I'm designing this new product. Just want to get your feedback, which one you want. They're like, oh shit. And we'll get 10,000 replies. And now we know they're interested in the product and we'll make that product. And we're in their inbox. Um, so that's just one, I think, a higher level strategy that's more impactful than just saying, hey, this is our flow post-purchase. You know what I mean? Because like if you do a yeah, post-purchase yeah. flow that's impactful, it's only people that bought. Whereas if you overall have a better strategy at a higher level with like our, your uh, email opt-ins, which are a, a bigger piece of the funnel, it's going to have more impact. So I think that's phase one, regardless of like. The best post-purchase thing—it's like that can only take you so far. But changing how you do email marketing, and thinking of convert—you know—conversing or talking with yeah. uh, your customers is where it all begins. I, I
0: love that. And so, so if somebody hits reply on an email. Where's that? Where's that reply go to?
1: It goes to my two in-house guys. So they they okay. get it and they go cool. And the thing that's really cool—it's like an ongoing dialogue. So they like, you know, our guys in-house may have a conversation with Jim from like two thousand fifteen or he's been messaging, Hey man, when's this coming out? Hey, when's and they'll say, Oh, we're dropping this new club here. How and they'll be like, How'd you play this weekend? And I'll be like, Oh, I shot five under or twenty over or I lost two ball like whatever. So now it's like this organic ongoing dialogue mm-hmm. where like the guys in house have relationships with customers uh because they're going back and forth. So when we do launch, so they'll be like, oh by the way, we're launching a new chipper tomorrow. It's not even like it's almost one-to-one in some capacities, which is, that's really the, the dream if you can, but it takes a big shift and you got to train your audience and you got to look at email differently than just revenue, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really huge. That's, that's, that's something I've been working on in my own, in my own business. is, is some point out to me is like, you know, when you write stuff, I want to read it. When you're sending me what's obviously swipe copy or it's promotion, I, I don't want to read that. it's um, was like, oh, oh, I shouldn't <laughs> use swipe copy anymore. Cause, you know, I, I do a lot of affiliates and, things like that. But now I don't use swipe copy. If I'm promoting someone else's thing, I'm going to say like, Hey, Sully's got a program. And uh, I think it's pretty cool. Here's why. And I want to share it with you because I thought you might be interested in it. And that's what it looks like and not, and not, you know, whatever story that, or sometimes I'll I'll put a a lead paragraph on it. You know, I got this really cool thing. I think you'll be interested in it. Here's the email they sent me to send out to you. Um, So it's still there in their form, but I kind of endorse it, not just pushing it through because yeah yeah, the the worst is when you get a promotional email from no reply at
1: (laughs) exactly that's the pinnacle and that that's been done for so long that a lot of people are accustomed to that you know that's a normal thing so when the bar is so low um you know when the bar is literally that low it gives us an opportunity to do it right but I, i think at the end of the day it's like how do you want to operate your business if you've had success? And and are, do you, are you an owner or are you a business that gives a shit about your customer or not? You know, like not, not to simplify it, but that's the best way to look at it, you know.
0: I, I love that, uh, that catch, right. Are you an owner who gives a shit about your business or about your customers? <laughs> right. as a, as a pr- pretty huge thing. So if someone is, is getting started, um, well, I, actually, let's give a couple minutes. I know you have a second business, Ecom Growers. So tell me a little bit about that and what you do with them
1: yeah so again this was a i'm an accidental entrepreneur that's what i call myself but so when i started having success with bomb tech a lot of different you know uh ink magazine entrepreneur you know Clavio, who's the software we use shopify all wrote about my business and our success and how we're doing really well with email marketing and it's funny my first employee ever chris was actually one of the engineering students was the most hardworking person on the planet. Like literally he would work 80 hours a week, was obsessed with learning everything, bomb tech and e-commerce. And he was running all my email um, and like I was helping him, but he was running it and we were doing really well. So people started messaging me like, yo, Sully, so, like, can you help me with my e-com brand? I'm like, nope, good luck. You know, I was like, I don't have time for that. Um, but then I was like, wait a sec, you know, maybe there's an opportunity here. So Chris, who was my email guy and my first employee, it's like, hey man, do you mind if I uh, try to help them? I go, as long as you keep doing what you're doing at BombTech, I will support a side hustle. Just go close these deals, tell me how it goes in 30 days. So he goes, clo- closes three deals, uh, comes back says, I doubled their email revenue. I go, okay, that's pretty good. What do you wanna do next? So from there, we, he had three clients and we decided to partner up 50-50 and We've got, I think, 40 clients now and, you know, we do about you know, seven figures a year. And what we do is we work with e brands specifically, you know, between two and thirty million dollars a year is kind of our range running their email and SMS marketing. Uh, but it was a total unexpected thing to have people reach out to me and ask for help. And we have a very specific offer that, you know, we knew could drive an insane ROI and chris was you know he wasn't just an employee he was like an owner at BombTech. so i trusted him and he's done a great job so i'm just a partner in that business i help him essentially streamline the company the fulfillment and stay lean um, and he's the email expert and it's been a unreal second income that doesn't require a lot of my time um mm-hmm. and, I'm, and it's directly you know we got bomb tech which is what i'm known for in golf and that's my baby but now e-commerce people know me for, it was just one of those things where it was I was listening and heard the opportunity, kind of like saw it and made it happen. And it's a cool service. And we're trying to scale it up to 150 clients by end of uh, 2023. So we'll see what happens.
0: Great. Maybe. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems to be doing good so far. Um, yeah. And, and, I, and I imagine you could probably use use the techniques you teach to grow that same business.
1: It's a little, it's a little different, uh, going B2B leads, but we're, we're figuring it out, but it's, it's a much more, um, service based. So it is more overhead, but you don't have the inventory. So it's, every business has its own pros and cons, but it's high profit, no inventory, all cash flow, but you have more people. Um, so we just systematize it so that we find the best people and, uh, you know, they know exactly what to do, which was the hardest part. And took me probably a year of fighting with them. Like, dude, let's make systems. And that's really now is kind of my expertise is like breaking down any so called business and simplifying to a point where the owner can be like, Wow, I can see everything. Anyone could do this, I could hire them, which is which is really the hard part because most people just never do that because they just end up doing it themselves.
0: Mm, yeah, that's that's huge. That's a huge thing. So uh, in our last couple of minutes, uh, if someone was, was early stage in a business, maybe thinking about starting something, um, what, would you, what would your advice be to them?
1: You know, it's been so long since I started like an e-com brand, but in general, it's always the same advice. You know, do what you actually like or passionate about, document what you're doing early days before you even get started, and actually care about any customers you do get, if you get any at all. And I think that alone will give you some guiding light, but I think everyone has to scratch their own itch and figure out what works for them. And, you know, I think for me, it was like getting fired was the kick in the butt I needed. And, you know, I don't know if everyone's going to make a business that's going to going to run, but if you have fun with it, what's the worst going to happen?
0: Love it. That's some great advice. Well, thank you so much. So for being on the show, it's been awesome. Learned some interesting things. I didn't, It had never occurred to me that getting people to reply gets you out of the promotions box, but uh, it's kind of intuitive, but somehow I never put that together. So I learned something, and hopefully our listeners learned many, many things. So thank you so much for your time. Anytime, man. Thanks so much. This has been the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast with your host, Michael Whitehouse. This great theme song is by Patrick Howard. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast. Find the full archive of all episodes at guywhoknowsaguy.com slash podcast. Check out my other podcast, Morning Motivation. It's a daily podcast of two to five minutes with a powerful hit of motivation and inspiration to get your day started. Morningmotivation.fun or search for Morning Motivation wherever you listen to podcasts. Join the community online in the Morning Motivation Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Morning Motivation Podcast. JV Connect is coming up quick, December 12th and 13th. If you are looking for a networking event where you can meet people who aren't looking to just pitch you or take, but actually want to collaborate, build strategic partnerships, joint ventures, maybe even find some mentors, some coaches, people to, to support you, accountability partners, who knows? If you're looking for good people in an environment that's not stressful but is set up to give you a lot of great connections in an efficient amount of time, check out JV Connect, -connect jv-connect.com. That's jv-connect.com, December 12th and 13th, 2023. We'll see you there.